following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You're listening to episode 15 about flying with your spouse or partner, famous flying couples, traffic patterns in Nantucket, preventing pilot fatigue, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the Stuck Mike Abcast. I'm your co-host, Len Costa, joined with Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Victoria Newville. How's everybody doing today? Great. Wonderful, wonderful. Happy happy to be here as usual. Excellent. (laughs) Yes, and we got some uh, some fun things to talk about this evening. Let's do the pre-flight. Carl does have another featured interview uh, for the Stuck Mike Avcast coming out. Uh, it'll be the next episode, episode 15A. And it's uh, by a gentleman uh, named Todd Castro about how to start a flying club. And he, tell, he goes into a bunch more things like that, uh, you know, as far as actually, what was his, his experience again, uh, well, Carl? Well, Todd, actually, he was brought on to this uh, flying club in New Jersey, one that I actually joined. And he... Uh, just to build the membership, he eventually became the president of the club, and he was with the club for 10 years helping manage it. And uh, he really has a lot of insight on uh, building and uh, actually uh, running a flying club. And he's looking at actually starting another one in the southwest Florida area. And he has some really, really terrific uh, ideas. So I, I definitely – it's a longer interview, but if you want to know the nitty-gritty about starting a club – uh, about joining a club and uh, the the pluses and minuses of actually running a club. It's a it's a great opportunity to listen to this and, and learn. Excellent. Yep, and that'll be coming out just after this episode. Episode 15 uh, is the one we're recording right now, and 15A will be the interview with Todd. A second announcement. Uh, I haven't been doing a lot of promotion on it just yet, but for those uh, who might have uh, heard me in the last show, I had started another website over at thepilotreport.tv, where I do some uh, some daily aviation news shows, and uh, actually Carl and I just recently did a, a a free class online that I'm going to be talking about during the picks of the week at the end of this show. But I had a uh, had a name change. The show originally was called Tea with Lenny C. It was something that I had um, had a nice ring to it, but didn't necessarily serve the purpose of what I was doing on the website. And now the show has been renamed to Today in Aviation Technology, and generally that's. Uh, um, you can you can just join me in the living room while I t- discuss um, aviation news and technology and my own commentary from uh, you know a CFI and airline pilot perspective. So, hope you guys do check us out there, thepilotreport.tv. Very cool. Um, yeah, it's it's fun, man. I'm I'm having a good time. So, hope uh, hope folks start tuning in a little bit more. It'll be be a good time. And so, they can still they can still have tea that morning if they want to. That's true. But the show's and, you not know, called that anymore. No, and if I was doing it in the evening, I may actually be joining you for a beer on the couch. You never know. Oh, that's cool. I don't like tea anyway. Well, that's go. good. So. <laughs> I wasn't going to watch it if it was called that. 
well, I guess I could say dine and white wine or I don't, I don't know. There how, you go. That, whatever would get your attention. Yeah, I'll have to try that next time. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump on into some topics for today. Now entering cruise flight. Why don't we start with, um, with Victoria? You had something uh, fun and interesting, actually, that I thought was a nice little, nice little topic you wanted to share. Yeah, um, I found a fun quote that kind of goes with my topic today. It's called a pilot noun, a poor misguided soul who talks about women while he's flying and flying while he's with women. <laughs> I know yeah. I know a few people like that. Do you know that? Well, one is my fiance, and luckily <laughs> I like to talk about airplanes too, and we actually met through our love of aviation. That's right. And um if we were pi- not both pilots, I don't think we would have ever met. So um, it got me thinking about all the different uh, flying couples there are out there and um, how there's tips and tricks you want to use in the air to keep positive while flying together and not, you know, kind of wreck your relationship or the plane. Um, I just wanted to cover, there's a few fun facts about some uh, flying couples out there. One would be uh, Charles Lindbergh. Everyone knows who he is um, when he flew nonstop between New York and Paris in 1927. Um, the lesser known name is his wife, Anne. Uh, she helped him map air routes to China and across the ocean in their Lockheed Cirrus. And um, actually, she had wanted to be a pilot since a child and soloed the year of their wedding and became the first female American to earn a first class glider certificate. Um, another fun couple is um, Martin and Osa Johnson uh, from 1917 to 1932. They had uh, many adventures making documentaries called Among the Cannibal Islands of the South Seas, Trailing Wild Africa Animals, and Across the World with Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. Um, In 1932, they finally realized how a pilot certificate would help them um, do these videos. And in the town of Chanute, Kansas, they earned various ratings. And then they eventually um, purchased some Sikorsky Amphib airplanes and flew them all over Africa to shoot their film a baboona uh they were the first pilots to fly over mount kilimanjaro and mount kenya um eventually unfortunately martin perished as a passenger in a crash of a boeing in 1937 um, but there's actually a museum dedicated to them in chanute which tells all their journeys together and i love to travel and i've been dying to go to africa so i think uh that's one of my favorite couples listed here cool uh, the title of the first married couple to fly in space together goes to Mark Lee and Jan Davis. In September 1992, um, they flew on a mission uh, performing material experiments. And the couple actually got married in secret and disclosed the information to NASA only days before the mission happened. Um, this was to ensure that neither of them was left behind because of this and they could both go. Um, I quote that they were quoted in saying, uh, just sharing the experience of preparing for space flight and flying in space is a major benefit being able to do that together. Um, my final couple I wanted to mention was probably the most popular couple that people first think of. It's John and Martha King. Um, they together hold the record of being the only married couple to earn all class categories and in instructor, uh, instructor ratings from the wow. FAA. Uh-huh. That's a lot. Wow. <laughs> that gives you and Bob something to strive for, by the way. Hey, we're going to we're gonna do it one of these days. I'm determined. <laughs> <laughs> I think minimally there's a Halloween costume in it for you. 
oh, we were going to do that this year, but then we're like, no one's going to understand. No, and it's pretty obscure. To a Halloween party full of pilots. <laughs> That's true. So, <laughs> next time. And who wants to do that? I know. Um, pretty much they uh, had an unsuccessful trucking business, and they uh, both decided to become full-time CFIs after that. And they were so overwhelmed with requests for ground training that they put together um, – started taping their lessons and that's how you know their big um, business king schools i think probably every single one of us has used their training at some point yeah um was put together that's cool oh, that's um, terrific. yeah an article i once read for them uh about flying together and how to hold back from being a backseat pilot um, martha gave this advice um do it in a gentle non-instructing way to heed, um, to heed her advice, maybe us flying couples should uh, say things such as, you know, how's your, our heading looking, honey? You know, oh, um, <laughs> have we uh, checked our, you know, on compass, you know, in the past 20 minutes, dear, you know, and, uh, you know, don't say things like you're five degrees off heading, fix it. <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually was able to find a few articles that talked about uh, flying couples, and a lot of them gave pretty much the same advice. Um, don't nitpick, maintain a sterile cockpit, and don't let relationship issues enter the aircraft. Um, when teaching other others to fly, they said, don't get into the I'm a boss mode and learn from each other. And last but not least, realize how lucky you are to have a significant other that shares the passion with you and who will listen to you and talk about it on end. Mm -hmm. Now, hmm. for some more fun, if you're a single pilot and looking to mingle, hmm. oh no, a website <laughs> just for that. Wow. You ready? Yeah, oh, yeah. I want to hear this now. Okay, go, go, go. First, for our airline fellas, crewdating.com, free <laughs> dating and friendship for pilots and flight attendants, hmm. aviatordate.com. <laughs> Legitimate online dating for pilots and flight enthusiasts. Wait, we're in the middle of a list of optional places for. Yeah. For, for, so it's not just like well, there's one site. You're listing multiple. <laughs> oh, I've got three more, buddy. Oh my. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll be quiet. I'm, I'm I hope one of them is datapilot.com. <laughs> Maybe that's another one you can register. I know your addiction to getting uh, domain names there, buddy. Um, last three are airline date mate. It says pilot your own destiny. That's their tagline. Secure love at 350.com. People in the aviation community are, who are alone and looking for their significant other. And then this last one uh, started following my blog the other day, actually. It's loveair.co.uk. Love Air Aviation Dating. Nice. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Didn't even know all those are out there. That's yeah. amazing. I think it's, I mean, it's interesting. Certainly there's, you think first of all about just flying with a significant other who may or may not be interested in aviation. Yeah. You know, they're willing to go along, but they aren't pilots. And, and then there's those kind of, those kind of things where the, they'll cooperate and there's ways to handle that. But you're right. Adding that other level of, we both know what we're doing here. Um, but one of us is in the right seat and one of us is in the left seat. That's, um, that's a pretty, that can be tricky if you're not careful, I'm sure. Well, I know from personal experience, I get mad when Bob corrects me, but I also mm -hmm. get mad when he doesn't correct me. Why didn't you tell me, you know? So do you um, guys have any rules about when, you know, like you want him to point out traffic he sees probably, yes, right? That's but, fine. Yeah. But there's probably some things where, <clears throat> unless it really 
is going to change the root of the thing of what we're doing in some dramatic way. It, I'm doing it my way. I don't know. How do you, how do you draw the line in what, when he calls, you know, when you each call each other out? Well, usually we always, you know, have in mind who is the pilot in command and we let them be in command, but we'll do a gentle, you know, hey, watch your heading or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think you read that, you know, frequency back, back wrong. Right. Let's double check, you know, really try to say it nicely because I know I can get sensitive and right. him, I don't think he cares if I yell at him or not. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious, do you guys ever, um, have you ever come across people um, that were talking about, you know, flying with my wife is such a pain in the butt or, you know, I love flying with my wife until she corrects me, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Len, you know that, you know, that famous couple we have at work, right? They, uh, uh, they finally, uh, or no, they, they actually retired, but uh, have to one, tell me about that offline. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Depending actually, on what you feel, you can share. I'm, oh I'm, no, no, no. I'm just saying that these are two folks that decided they wanted to fly together, and oh. they wound up being uh, uh, with pilots with the airline. And he was much more senior, so he became the captain first, mm-hmm. and then she later became first officer. And they flew together for years and years and years. Wow. And they finally, he decided to retire, and she followed. And so that's it, you know, they, that's all they did. They flew together and people loved flying with them and they had a great rapport. I'm not sure. Well, I guess they could do it, but being home and then being together at work all the time that I would think would have put a strain on their relationship. It's a whole lot of one person. It works, you know, it works, for, some, it works for some people. It, it, yeah, it does. Yeah. But that, that's uh, but the, obviously in that situation, they knew who the pilot of command was, but uh you know, for me, having someone that I was dating and uh, and flying with, it was a different situation because uh, I actually started teaching them how to fly. So obviously, mm-hmm. I was the instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, but you're right. You know, that's there's a and I'd love to hear from people. You know, how do you how do you deal with that? You know, you have two people that are at the same experience level. I've only heard from a few other folks where you know, like you said, one day I'm pilot the command, the next day you are. You know, you or you flip a coin, that type of thing. You know, it's Monday, so it's my turn, that type of thing. You know? I actually know a couple that takes turns like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was upset the other day. Her Facebook status was, you know, darn, it's Jeff's turn to be PIC. <laughs> <laughs> he gets all the fun legs. No. <laughs> but you know what? This mm-hmm. could happen. This could be an issue when there's, you know, it doesn't have to be a couple. It could just be, you know, if I went up with Len one day to fly, I wonder if we'd have to watch how we corrected each other because we both feel like we know what we're doing. Well, yeah, it would seem to me in that kind of, in general, you, you start those flights if you're with another pilot, especially one who, if, you, if the experience levels are equal and you both are familiar with the plane, where you might want to, you know, clarify how you want to handle that stuff. You know, if, if, if the left seat, you know, the, the PSC is more experienced in the plane, clearly there's a right. little, it starts to become clear that, you know, I'm, I'm going to only call out, I'll, I'll call traffic, I'll let you know if I notice anything. But, but it, when you're each equally experienced, you probably do need to cover that off just as in the same way, you know, as if you were a couple mm-hmm. you know, doing the same thing. Yeah, and I yep. think there's some different things that come into play too. When, when, I mean, in this example, if it was myself and Victoria flying together with my flight instructor cred, uh, credentials, we may even have to sort of come to a mutual agreement or a written agreement as to who's doing what in the event that there was. Because this is another problem I find when flying with other pilots is, um, you know, who's going to be responsible if something happens? And, you know, I don't always want it to fall upon me if just because I'm the highest rated or highest certificated pilot in that aircraft, 
But if I'm not flying the plane, if I'm a passenger, I have nothing to do with it. So there's definitely some other things that go along with it. You know, uh, to add to that, you know, I fly in, in a lot of clubs and normally we wind up saying, okay, this is your leg, you're pilot in command, and this will be my leg, I'm pilot in command, and you switch off like that. And uh, during the period that you're uh, not pilot in command, part of crew resource management and cockpit resource management is, hey, point out something to me. If you mm -hmm. see something, say something. You know, if there's a big plane in front of me about to crash into us, please let me know. Or if I'm off my airspeed or altitude, you know, little things and big things, just point them all out. It, but it's all in how you say it. And that's, that's true even, you know, at the airlines too. It's mm -hmm. all in how you say it. But, yeah. Uh, well, it's pretty common for us when we get together too. You know, I've flown with a lot of guys who straight out tell me, and, and this is a crew environment, which is very similar to a flying couple. I mean, you still are two people working together. It's similar to a flight crew. And, um, you know, there are certain things like a gentleman will say to me, make sure, just like Carl said, you know, call out traffic, call out this, watch me on the taxi. I, you know, sometimes it's as simple as I just got back from three weeks of vacation, keep an eye on me. Um, yeah. And, and I think that Carl and I may be a little more familiar working together in that environment and not necessarily feeling bad saying, I wouldn't say, Hey, stupid, check your heading. But you know, we have to be assertive in those environments. And uh, I think that I would suggest that, you know, as long as you guys kind of point out at the beginning of the flight, sort of give yourself some ground rules that say, don't be offended. We're going to do this flight from A to B with safety in mind. And, you know, if you will point these things out for me, I'll do the same for you, et cetera. Sort of just give yourself some ground rules before the flight starts. Yeah. Good advice. Right. Cool. Agreed. Well, I don't know, Victoria, was that all you had to share? Well, do you want me to go on? I well, could. I didn't know if, like, we got into a discussion. I wasn't sure if there was more. Well, that was the whole point. I, I think the point yeah. is to talk. Absolutely. Can, can no, I just I share just one more thing, though? Uh-oh. Who, who invited that guy? <laughs> <laughs> there, be, be very careful, you know, as far as, as dating and and, uh, and the cockpit and the workplace. It's just like anything else. Uh, you know, you, uh, you can wind up having a really bad situation. Um, I, I know from, from people's experiences that I've heard and from my own, it it can get pretty rough, especially if you're you're part of a, a two part crew that's uh, that's now having to work together, and and now you no longer are dating, and uh, so that it, you have to be kind of careful, and you're, if you're in that situation there, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, heck, I've I've actually had, and this is many years ago, has an instance where I was uh, dating a gal who became a student. Of course, when we we stopped dating, it was uh, uh, she fired me. <laughs> so, <laughs> She oh, moved on to another instructor. I was like, darn. So not only did I lose the girlfriend, I lost, lost the, the money. The money from <laughs> instructing. So, boy, that was really smart. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, there's there some awkward situations that can come up. But that, you know, though, it's it's really neat to see some of these flying couples out there. And I, I see them at, at uh, my little airport in Florida and Peter O'Knight. There's, uh, we call them Ken and Barbie. And uh, they're they're like this perfect couple. I mean, they're they're both tall, skin. You know, they they look perfect. They own a Mooney, and uh, one's a captain with Delta, the other captain with FedEx. Mm -hmm. And of course, they can afford a nice airplane and all. But they they just absolutely love flying around. Uh, but you know, I've noticed that I don't see them together that much flying anymore. So I was meaning to ask them that. So maybe that's that's their their way of dealing with it. They get to fly mm -hmm. alone a lot. So. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but it's neat. I mean, I think being able, just like say you're on a sailboat or living in a motorhome or, or sharing an airplane, being able to share, you know, your passion is just terrific with the person that you're, you're really close to. I think it's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Just okay. have to be careful, you know, how you share that. Passion. I've got the chance to experience both sides of that 
being in a relationship with another person who is a pilot and being in a relationship with somebody who's not, and they both have their perks. It's, I mean, it's kind of nice having somebody who's a pilot because you do have a little bit more, you know, shop talk and stuff that you can share with one another. But it's also nice having somebody who's never been in a small plane and is totally fascinated by the entire thing. And I get to kind of go back into instructor mode and um, it's really fun experience. Yeah, I think also talking about it, you know, adds to your focus a little. Right. You know, I'm doing this now. Here's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Your sort of self-awareness gets heightened a bit because you're you're having to, you know, you're kind of walking through the, you know, here's what it takes to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that's cool. Yeah. Fun. Very fun. Well, um, Rick, I know that you wanted to share something this uh, on the yeah. show today about a flight to Nantucket. Yeah, um, it was. It's more just an observation I made at the time that was, you know, a lesson, and especially for um, student pilots, um, I would say, or new, you know, new pilots to some degree. And it's that there's a sense you you sort of learn parts of the of the flying, uh, the deal, um, and you um, you know learn them by rote, and you learn you know there's muscle memory, and there's certain routines you get into, and. And for me, there were several different cases, and this is one of them where I learned something and then um, realized I was thinking too uh, rigidly about it. And um, that's basic. Basically, the 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 short answer is the idea that when you learn, um, a, you know, the correct pattern to to make it for a certain run rate in, in a certain airport, um, you you know, I, you, I I I sort of came to think about it like the diagrams that are in all the books, which is it's a box around. Um, you know, surrounding the field and in, in a certain direction uh, for left or right pattern for for the runway you're you're going to use and and um, and and it's that tight. It's it's sort of packed into the runway and and um, and and the less the, the message was this. I was sort of coming from um, the Martha's Vineyard direction uh, into Nantucket, sort of heading south, uh, sort of east to southeast, and um, uh, kind of trying to lose altitude quickly, which was one one issue I had at the time. But that's fine. And there's a video, by the way, on on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, you can watch this sort of happen, um, where I was essentially for the runway I was going to use, I was, uh, on a 45 to that runway at about the approach end, but on the wrong 45, you know, it's 45 heading, not the way you would, you know, you would normally enter a pattern. And that wasn't really my issue. It was that the, the tower, um, asked me if I could do a short approach and I was a new pilot and, uh, you know, knew enough to say, you know, I'd, I'd rather not, I'd rather just do what I know how to do and not try to push it and rush it. Um, so I'm pretty sure the way it went down and what I remember of it is that he then said, okay, that's cool. Um, just enter, uh, enter the downwind for whatever the runway was. Um, and in my head, I had not yet learned to think of the downwind as an extended line <laughs> that runs, uh, you know, parallel to the runway kind of forever in theory that the downwind doesn't have to just be a, a box near the airport. So for me, I immediately start thinking, uh, oh, I've got to, then I've got to kind of, you know, bank left and, and come around to enter a 45 for the downwind. And um, he was trying to get someone in ahead of me. But what he really wanted me to do was essentially immediately hang a right turn and be in the downwind. But I was actually beyond the approach end of the runway because I was practically parallel with it. So it didn't make sense to me that that would also be the downwind starting in that direction. Does, does Have I described it well? Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So, so it's just funny. My head went, oh, 
oh, I've got to go do the downwind thing that I had learned, you know, over and over, and over which was to, to, to turn left. And in fact, he wanted me to kind of immediately hang a right and be in the downwind immediately. And, and I think there's even exchange where you can see me not get that and start to go one way. And then he, um, you know, corrected me. And so it's, it's just sort of, a, it's a reminder that there's these things that have multi-layered um, ways of thinking about them that aren't always covered because it's not crucial when you're learning you know, generally it's about, it's about pattern practice that doesn't have, you know, you can extend a downwind, but I hadn't really translated that to being, oh, I can enter a downwind here. I'm already, you know, I'm, I'm already beyond where I might even turn to make, to make a base, but that, that can begin my downwind. So anyway, so it's not a, I just thought it was an interesting thing that happened. And for people who are learning, and I know some people who listen to us are still are, are in that process. It's kind of, it was kind of a cool eye opener for me and it all worked out. It was a, Ended up being a nice long approach because I don't know. I I should have I probably should have gone in with the short approach, but it was the mm. right call. I think it was the right call, and it was um, and, and it's a it turned out to be a pretty video. So that's all. I just wanted to. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but it was. I remember. Yeah. Not, I remember not. I remember going. Oh, big light bulb went off. You know, whenever those happen, I remember them. So that that was great, and that, you know that brings up a good point. You know, when, when we're training, we usually train for the check ride. You know, we're supposed to enter on a forty-five. We know we're supposed to you know, depart straight out around the 45. But once, once you start flying real life, you know, you start realizing, you know, there's situations where yeah. we're not going to do that recommended pattern. Right. That was, that was good. That well, was a and, great example. And I've yeah. tried, been trying to tell some of my students about this and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like the, the moments where I would go, wow, I've never made a, you know, it's a towered field. And, and because of where I was, suddenly I'm making a left, you know, uh, you know, left approach to a runway. I've only been making right approaches on in pattern but when you're you know all bets are right you know it does change you're right the real world flying especially you know in a towered field it's so i would go oh i've never done this one before because i hadn't flown in from that direction before so yeah you're right it, it practical application changes everything so and anyway very cool all right very cool um well carl you know, we had, uh, back in episode three, I had talked a little bit about fatigue and uh, something that had happened to me at work and some, you know, some basics of fatigue and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, you had something that you wanted to sort of add to that previous discussion about uh, recognizing and preventing fatigue. Yeah, I just, you know, uh, I, I know we talked about this before, but there's uh, been a lot of discussion lately about pilot fatigue and, and the fact that, uh, you know, some of these, uh, the rules need to change. Uh, a lot of times, I think, uh, in, in adding to what we said before, uh, we don't realize that we are fatigued and how do we, we figure out that we are. And, and, uh, and a lot of times when we do, we're, we're actually nodding off. But, uh, but again, you know, the fatigue, that's when, you, you know, you, you don't have your wits about you or your cognitive ability has been decreased. And uh, normally it's due to uh, some type of sleep debt and um, not repeating what we said before, but adding to that uh, some of the things that, that I think that we need to do as pilots, both uh, uh, personal flying and also professionally flying, is we need to go out there and, and start to really concern ourselves with coming to the airplane well-rested. Uh, I think this is a, a point that's been uh, brought up recently uh, or I know it's a point that's been up, brought up recently with the NTSB and FA investigations is how much rest are you truly getting prior to your flight? And uh, we're not just talking about, you know, stress, et cetera. And everybody has 
uh, a different uh, amount of rest that they need, but on average, it's about eight hours of sleep. And how much sleep debt, in other words, how much sleep did you lose in the past few days? And uh, have you been able to make that up? And you have to really put that as an assessment prior to your flight. It's interesting. And one of the things I wanted to know, maybe some of the other uh, you folks can answer this is um, how many people have actually fallen asleep uh, uh, actually flying? And now I can admit I have. And uh, Len, did, have you ever experienced that? Just maybe a micro nap or nodding off? Yes, more times yeah. than I think I would care to admit, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, just a quick mention that um, in the instances where, you know, I've felt an overwhelming need for even a micro nap, obviously will let whoever I'm with know that, hey, I need a few minutes to myself. So it's, it's, it's never really, I don't think I've ever just fallen asleep without, you know, telling anybody. Wow. Uh, how about... Hey, Rick, have you yeah. experienced this at all? No. When you're flying. Um, no. Uh, I really, I, the flights aren't that, for me, they aren't ever that long. And I usually, you know, if I see a night coming beforehand, I I, I, try, I make sure, you know, it, I, again, I'm not flying that often so and I don't have to fly. So I try to manage that enough that, that I don't, you know, that, that I don't, get, that I'm not in that state to begin with. And if I'm going right. to be or I'm not feeling well or if that edge is off, I, I sort of just choose to be safe because I can, well, you know. Yeah, and this kind of plays into it. How about you, Victoria? Have you ever experienced, you know, nodding off in the cockpit? Oh, I sleep all the time in the plane. How about when you're I flying? I just put a pillow. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, when Bob does the flying, sometimes I sleep. And then we hit some turbulence and I kind of wake up and I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? But, um, no, uh, seriously, though, I did um, – I've never totally nodded off, and luckily when I almost did, I was with an instructor. I had gotten maybe two hours of sleep the night before, and I had to do a night flight in the summer, and it had to be this, like, long night cross-country. And so, of course, to night in the summer is past, you know, 10 o'clock p.m., and we were on our way, and I just knew, like, I could tell because my heading was going my altitude was going. I couldn't keep to seem to keep them on, you know, correctly within the first 10 minutes of the flight. So I think we got to the next airport that was just, you know, a couple miles beyond my home base. And I said, I need to turn around. We're not finishing this flight because you're going to end up flying it all and I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so um, it's good that, you know, I'm not an, I don't fly for a living so I can catch it and know when it's time to call it quits. And that, you know, th this kind of plays into what my, my point here, if you notice all of our answers, it, it goes in, uh, into the operation, you know, what type of operation do we have as far as our flying, you know, there's, there's those of us that fly commercially, those that do it personally, and the people that do it personally, you know, that what it, you know, you can make a decision say, hey, I'm not going to fly today. Mm -hmm. But, but some of those folks that use their aircraft for business, and, uh, and I know a lot of folks that do this, and, and also flight instructors, that don't have any rules that they have to follow as far as rest is, is required, uh, rest is concerned, they really need to be careful. I mean, we, we know that, uh, you know, if we want to go see a football game and we go to the football game and then we come back late at night, there's going to be an issue and we're going to work together maybe if we're two people in the cockpit to stay awake. Maybe the best thing to do is just to stay at your destination. And uh, just... As an aside also, or another point I should say, is that now they're really looking at those rest requirements. So what we, we need to do is say to ourselves, you know, if the airlines require it, then 
maybe we should also require it in our life. And uh, I think that uh, coming up soon, and this goes uh, goes more, as I segue, a little bit into the professional flying. And for those people that are looking to become professional pilots, and that includes anybody instructing, you really need to get your rest. Because currently, the way the rules are now, uh, only you're able to work for, as far as an airline pilot, you can work for 16 hours, get eight hours of rest. Eight hours of rest, again, uh, can equate to maybe five hours of sleep. Right. Your rest period starts at the airport. You have to get to the hotel, you have to check in, that type of thing. So some of the things that can help you throughout the day, as far as, as general aviation pilots are concerned, is let's, you know, let's start looking at napping, that type of thing. Uh, there's, there are some rules uh, in other countries that allow people to actually nap uh, in their air carrier operations. The uh, FAA does not allow that right now. Um, but we notice uh, in most of these studies about uh, 13 hours is the limit as far as flying is concerned, a 13-hour day. Uh, and there's other things that we can use to uh, to stay awake, and that's caffeine, et cetera. But if you're thinking of becoming a professional pilot, and uh, just uh, to speak towards that, some most of the studies that have been done, and a recent NASA study that's been done, has shown that 80% of the pilots have said to themselves that they have nodded off in the cockpit. And uh, the one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is that it's happened to me. I mean, one of the scariest situations I've ever been in uh, was, you know, my eyes closed. I looked down, I looked up, and I thought it was just two seconds that it happened. And I had flown, you know, a good 20, 30 miles, and I looked to the right, and my co-pilot is also sleeping. And so that that was a big wow. wake-up call. I was like, wow. And I look at him, I nudge him and say, hey, you know, where are we? You know, what are we doing? And, and of course, real quickly, you look at your next fix, you say to yourself, okay, great. This is right prior to the descent. And what's interesting is this, this is the reason I brought this up. I started doing a lot of research as to why did this happen? And it happened early morning after a, a reduced rest while the sun was rising. And it was during the arrival phase, a pre-descent phase. Turns out that a lot of the instances of people falling asleep is during that period because you've already been flying for a while. You're starting to get relaxed and, and you're starting to fall asleep. Plus your circadian rhythms or your sleep rest rhythms are at that point where you should be maybe sleeping and you're just now waking up. Um, and, um, you know, another scary part of this was uh, the reason that I had woken up is I, I got a warning and the warning mm. was telling me, that our one of our uh, GPSs failed. We had multiple GPSs. And it took us approximately three minutes to figure out what the problem was. In normal, in a, in, if we were awake, all I would do is look up and just push a button and say, okay, let's use the other GPS. So now here, something that would have taken me just a few seconds took me three minutes to recognize. I was like, wow. And the ding that I heard in my mind was actually, you know, the thing that woke me up was actually a real warning. And it took me a couple of seconds to realize, oh, that was a real warning in the cockpit. Hmm. Um, one of the things that, that I would encourage people to do is if they do find themselves falling asleep, and no matter what uh, situation, whether it's professionally or, or uh, you're flying personally, is to report that, you know, using hmm. the NASA reports, ASARs. Um, there's uh, also a lot of programs within airlines and, and that's exactly what I did in this case is, is to look into, hey, why did this happen? 
and come to find out after a lot of research, there, there's quite a, a few instances of this. And one of the things that I'm talking about, and, and uh, it's actually going up on, on uh, my blog soon, is called the fatigue pilot. And uh, trying to recognize and also trying to, uh, to uh, be an advocate for the changing of rules, especially amongst professional pilots, because mm -hmm. I know there's a, quite a few of you folks that listen out there. And uh, I think, yeah, we, it's about time we've changed things. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I really, I, I feel that uh, this is, with all this automation out there, it's terrific. And, uh, you know, we've seen instances where crews have flown past their destinations, um, but you still need that person in the cockpit and that person needs to be awake mm -hmm. and we need to have tools to allow us to stay awake. And, uh, so one of the most important things is teaching folks to use those tools, but also to change these rules and, uh, and get more rest period. But, uh, but you'll see that it's, it's, uh, happening soon is that you're going to see a lot of changes in the, uh, in the rest requirements. There are, uh, some people saying that that's going to, going to cause or precipitate a change as far as hiring is concerned. That's not, that's not totally true with all the airlines because some of the airlines that I've looked at already have some, some rules in effect that are more conservative than the ones that actually the government is proposing right now. So yes, there are going to be some where you'll see quite a bit of hiring due to this, but in others, no, you won't. But that's, that's the life of, of, uh, of flying the line is just you're going to, you have to be able to learn how to deal with uh, not getting much rest. And, uh, and there's many ways to do that. We've talked about it before, but napping, caffeine, turn the lights on, those type of things. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. It's not, it's kind of in addition to what we said before, but also if you want your, you know, your voice to be heard, this is probably the best time to do it because the, the government is researching that right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, did anybody else have anything to add to that as, as far as sleep's concerned and I was going to say, you know, what your other tools to um, stay awake or be reminded to stay awake in the cockpit were, because, you know, I don't think it's necessarily healthy to be, you know, popping a Red Bull every time you enter the cockpit, you know, and well, have to have, you know, uppers to stay awake and, you know, stuff like that. So there's. They, you know, it's interesting because the, the military does a lot with, with using caffeine and that type. Of, and I've seen guys take caffeine pills. But, but you know, when you do take caffeine, it takes good. It's really takes 15 to 30 minutes to get into your system. Uh, and it lasts, say, about, you know, five hours or so. But mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's other tools that I remember when I was in college, I used to, you know, put the tongue in the back of my mouth and tickle the top of my mouth, that kind of thing to keep me from going to sleep. You know, those listening to music. But the problem is if you listen to music, that's like really mellow. I've heard friends talk about that. Um, but the, the biggest thing is and and everything that it, that comes around says you need to get rest. And uh, that's the most important thing as far as not falling asleep in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, just every so often doing something, that's something that I'll do. Uh, but, but adding to what you said, Victoria, uh, some uh, empirical data is out there as far as um, allowing pilots to get up and walk around. The problem is if you're in a 172, that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> Just a tad. Yeah. But, you know, I can see, you know, p pushing your seat back, stretching. But the studies that have, have been done have shown that doing those things helps, but it helps for a short period of time. And everything I've been reading has, has come back to that. You need to get rest. Those are great for short periods of time. Uh, but comes back to sleep. You just need you need to have that sleep. What's really cool is then you know on these overseas flights, these guys have uh, the pilots have uh, places to sleep in bunks, et cetera. 
but they also find that even on in those situations, people really don't uh, don't use their whole rest period. The average maximum amount of sleep that they'll get is five hours. Um, so again, the tools tools are there. The caffeine's there. Like you said, it's not great to you know pop a Red Bull all the time, but you know you may have to do it before you land. Personally, what I do is I know that I'll uh, if I'm really tired and it's half hour before landing, I'll drink a a Coke. I don't really drink Coke much, but one with sugar in it. And that sugar gets me a little high, it gets me going and uh, gets me, you know, awake and ready to do an approach. Um, although if it's a really challenging approach and, uh, you know, it's down to minimums, I might be awake anyway, <laughs> just yeah. thinking about that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's those, those tools as far as getting, being able to, to, um, to prevent yourself from falling asleep. There's many out there and I'd love to hear what, what, other people use like turning on the the lights to putting uh, the air conditioning down lower or opening up a vent in your airplane and keeping you cooler. Uh, that's uh, those are other ways because there is a lot that's involved with your actual internal temperatures as far as sleep is concerned and, and making you you tired and your rhythms as far as sleep. So you know you can vary your temperature even that way mm -hmm. and fool yourself into being awake. But uh, there's many there's many different tools out there. But again, just get to sleep. That's all. Yeah, quality sleep too, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's very important for me. For me, say for instance, you know, a good a good night's sleep for me is like six or seven hours. But if I was to go, um, you know, if I was to go to bed at two o'clock in the morning and wake up at eight a.m., usually I'm wide awake. But if I have to be up for work at four a.m., you know, and I went to bed, say for instance, at eight or nine p.m. and got that seven hours of sleep on the front side of my sleep uh, rhythm, my sleep cycle, I'm still a zombie when I wake up. I can get the same amount of sleep, but it's not, you know, it depends on it, it's out of my own rhythm. Um, so you have to one one thing is obviously trying to understand what your own sleep cycle is and, and a good rhythm, uh, your sleeping rhythm, and circadian rhythm. So. Because you need the quality sleep, really, is what it comes down to, not just necessarily the hours of sleep. And, and you know, I think the uh, getting up at four in the morning, do you find you get nervous that you might not wake up? Oh, all the time. So I, oh, my God, that scares me. So I, For instance, this morning, I had to wake up at four in the morning. I finished flying at 8.30 this morning. And now, tomorrow, I have to get up at four in the morning. So now... Mm -hmm. I worry about, gosh, what if my alarm doesn't go off? And I do, I do what's called the three alarm fire. I Absolutely, put the, three alarms on. You know, my phone, my watch, and a phone call. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that's kind of scary. And that doesn't help you sleep because all of a sudden you get up. Oh, it's two o'clock in the morning. It's three o'clock in the morning. Oh, now it's four. Now it's right. time to get up. Yeah. But you're right, Len. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, just just you sit there and say, oh my gosh, am I going to make it? And you really become fatigued because of that. Mm -hmm. But you also have to. Now you have that sleep debt, and now you have to make up for that. You know, they, they have found, though, that one night of, of having a sleep debt is going gonna, is gonna to reduce your ability to perform, but, uh, but you definitely on the second day need to make up that sleep yes, somehow. Yes, correct, correct. And uh, it's, it's, it's tough to do, especially when you're, you have other obligations and uh, other people in your life you have to talk to and uh, take care of things like buying a house or, uh, you know, doing anything, kids, kids, anything, everything. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that we, you know, we look at and say, Hey, should we be taking off now? This is not exclusive. I just want to make sure people know this is not exclusive to just flight crews. No, I mean, not I, at all. I, I know of a tragic accident, somebody that, uh, our, you know, our family knew personally and he, uh, was tired, went to a funeral and after the funeral forgot to take his gust lock out. And, uh, when he was taking off 
and he was super duper tired and that he got in the air but he was unable to maneuver and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately he didn't he didn't make it through that mm-hmm. um so you, you really you have to look at that in in all of our flying mm-hmm. and sleep what what i have done here i've actually kind of glossed over some of the, the uh, generalized uh, fatigue there is so much out there about fatigue and we're really starting to understand uh, what we need to do and the circadian rhythms and you know knowing between two and four in the morning and two and four in the afternoon you know maybe we need we are we're low as far as uh, it's a low part of our day as far as performance is concerned and if we have a sleep deprivation then we're even lower than that and our performance can really be decreased and and I think it's I think it's exciting that we're finally looking at it you know it's unfortunate that we've had uh, crashes that have have precipitated this this studies that finally be done by by the FAA and the NTSB mm-hmm. and NASA also mm-hmm. and uh, really really fascinating stuff and I never realized you know what uh, was causing some of my fatigue and now I look back at it and say oh yeah you know that that makes sense you know that that's why I was fatigued because I got up at four in the morning I got up at four in the morning again I only you know got eight hours of rest or less you know that type of thing and and I I always thought that I could keep going because when I had a regular desk job if I nodded off at the desk it didn't matter quite as much because no one was going to get hurt uh, but now that I'm actually flying an airplane for a living it's like gosh you know now I have to think about this and just fly myself around um, and even in our personal flying again we might feel pressure to get up early in the morning to go pick up somebody. I had to do this uh, one morning. I had to pick up somebody who had a part, you know, that they needed. And I said, okay, I'll do it. But uh, I was super duper tired. And uh, I, again, I was like, gosh, I feel like I'm at work now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I I think, you know, like I said, this is just a, an introduction as far as and and just wanting to put it out there. Hey, what do you guys do about sleep? And and I want to hear back from folks. Do you sleep? Do you uh, do you fly fatigued, et cetera? And you recognize that that it is fatigue. And uh, yes, it does matter what your operation is. But sometimes we put pressures on ourselves to get places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a good discipline Mm-hmm. to uh, to really tell yourself your passengers your company that you just can't do that flight at that time or if it's a pleasure flight you know we should just stay here tonight it it's important though it definitely is and it, i think it takes a lot of, i mean heck of the 15 years i've been flying only you know i'd say the last couple i start to really understand that you are ultimately the one that has to make you know, you're in yourself, the individual has to make these decisions and stick to them. And remember that, uh, you know, it's the safety of the flight. It's your personal safety, safety of your friends, your family, whoever you may be flying. And uh, if the situation isn't, uh, isn't, isn't, if you're not fit to fly, remember, that's my, I think that's the, the most encompassing thing that I use when I'm not feeling well, whether it's fatigue or sick or any other issues going on. I think to myself, and I think about my FAA medical and I say, am I or am I not fit to fly? And if I decide that I'm not for whatever reason, I'll usually make the call not to go flying. So there's a lot point, of things to point. keep, you know, a lot of things to to look at. But I, One, for the listeners out there, don't feel embarrassed by any means. If you, you know, if you have to make that decision, it's, it's always, er, you know, err on the, ca- the side of caution and safety. Take the most conservative approach always. And one addition to that, and and I know that we've been talking about fatigue and falling asleep, is that this doesn't happen that often. And I know a lot of our listeners, you know, they might be a little bit nervous next time they get into an airplane and they're flying somewhere. Gosh, is that person awake up there? Are you guys awake? And uh, realize that even though the rules have not changed uh, yet, 
there has been a lot done by the FAA in the, in the recent months, actually, uh, where they're really looking at, you know, are you on, have you been on duty? And they're, they're getting tougher with airlines uh, in uh, their ability to change people's duty times and they're, while they're at work and allowing them to work more hours. Uh, so they're not going to, they're not allowing people to, they're not allowing airlines to do that. And they're also, uh, you know, there's been some recent uh, changes as far as what it actually is flight time. And uh, they're starting to realize that uh, if you're out there in an airplane with the door closed, that's all considered flight time. And that's been coming down from the FAA. So in the past, uh, that wasn't considered flight time. And they could still continue to schedule you. For instance, if you went out there and you sat for three hours in an airplane and then you came back to the gate and then you went out again and started flying, they, they did not count those three hours as flight time. Now they're actually putting that towards your flight time. So that's one, there's a positive right there. You know, there's one small little step that we've made towards having our flight crews more rested. And, you know, I fly as a passenger once a week, twice a week, I should say. And, and you know, I want my crew rested when I go fly. Mm -hmm. and, but, and there is a lot being done already. So uh, and we've come a long way and we're, we're, still, we're still making strides that way. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm pretty excited about that. I really do hope they allow us some sort of uh, approved nap. I think ultimately that would solve a lot of problems and whether or not it makes folks comfortable knowing that there may be a pilot taking a, you know, a company uh, allowed nap. Uh, we'll have to see how that pans out with the flying public. But uh, from a safety perspective, I'd rather have a 30, uh, you know, 30 to 40 minute quick nap if necessary than, than be up at the flight controls struggling to stay awake, down on coffee, shove, you know, with the uh, air conditioner blowing in my face. It's, it's just safer. You know, you know, Len, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. The napping I, I mentioned is uh, they, the research that I've done, the napping helps, uh, but it helps in the short term. Right. In other words, and that, yeah, and, and I yeah. think that's great. Well, they're most, most of these are short-term fixes. Yes, yes. Always short-term. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, better than just, pop, like you said, popping the caffeine pills or, or mm -hmm. drinking uh, coffee. That was one of the things that they're really looking at. And I think it is a good idea to allow people maybe to take a, a coordinated nap. You know, we've all heard the, you know, the saying, I'm going to, I'm going to study the overhead panel <laughs> <laughs> and, and that does go on in the airlines. And for those of you who don't understand that, you know, usually when we say well, I'm going to study the overhead panel, it tells the other person, Hey, I'm going to shut my eyes for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not suggesting that people do that. And, and the airline pilots out there, they are listening there. I wouldn't suggest that until there is a rule that's put in place that allows us to nap, but it has to be defined. You know, mm -hmm. what are you doing? It's like you have the flight controls, I have the flight controls, same mm -hmm. kind of thing. But uh, but yes, Len, I think that's great a great point. And there's a lot of research still being done on the napping portion. And how we, how would we implement it? That's the yeah. other thing too. How are mm -hmm. we going to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a f just one final note. is actually something that I had talked about on the pilotreport.tv first episode actually of Tea with Lenny C., uh, it wasn't pertaining to fatigue. It was actually pertaining to a weather data link study. But the same, uh, I think the same suggestion stands here. And in this study, the FAA was, uh, was looking for folks to submit the um, uh, form, the Aviation Safety Reporting System, send, submit more of these forms, uh, again, going to this, uh, this particular weather data link study pertaining to weather. But I would like to say, 
that I think that folks, just like Carl recommended a little bit earlier in the discussion about fatigue, that you go ahead and you do report these things. It helps. See, the problem is that without the data, we have nothing to study. And the reason that the airlines are all usually the ones under scrutiny with so many different things going on out there is because we are reporting things. You know, our companies force us to report certain things. We self-report certain things. So we have more, you know, we have a larger database of people that are reporting things going on out there flying in the system. And I would like to see, you know, my, my recommendation for our general aviation pilots is to go ahead and do the same thing. Because without this data, we're never going to come around to finding solutions to some of these problems. So, you know, I highly suggest if you have some of these issues going on, submit one of these forms that will help you, help yourself out, it'll help your peers out. And uh, it'll be something that, um, you know, the FAA and the NTSB and other, other a, um, ABC crowds can, can check into and we can come up to a solution for some of these issues. So Good point. Our picks of the week. All right. Well, moving along, we're getting up here to the top of the hour. So why don't we go and jump on over to our picks of the week? And uh, we'll start with... Where to go, Rick? Go ahead and uh, let's hear about your pick of the week. Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and toot the horn of the four flight uh, guys again, because um, and that's an that's a aviation app that runs on uh, I think exclusively now on iOS still, and uh, they've just they just keep updating it. And if you've been waiting to to jump on to that uh, platform and and try it out, you know, every new edition gives you more and more reason to do it i think um there was an you know, and i've lost track of how many updates there are and i don't know the numbers but they added uh you know they added a wonderful they improved the map interface dramatically with multi-layered options so you can look at a, a sectional with radar and winds or with radar and cloud cover or satellite and cloud cover, you know, the combinations are, are almost, I haven't tried multiple, how deep it goes on multiples, but it's pretty great, that part. So that was a while ago. And the, the, the little thing that just came out that I don't know when that got added, and I don't know if you've tried this yet, is uh, the two-fingered um, yeah, it's cool. movement. Basically, you can, you know, in, in a pinch, in a hurry, you have a, you have a default plane uh, profile in the uh, software, and you can anchor one, you know, finger, if you're in the air, say, where you are, uh, and use a second finger and slide it out as far as you want to go in a in anywhere and basically making an arc with your thumb, you know, with your two fingers and, and between those two, it will, or it will then show you um, what distance uh, fuel, fuel burn, you know, what basically, you know, what, how, you know, what's your fuel exhaustion situation for that kind of flight? How far can I go based on the profile of my plane and these two distances? So it's all sort of an on the fly quick analysis in the past you would have to have entered a bit of a flight plan you know inside the software which is not hard to do either but this is a quick and dirty kind of can i go here yes can i go here i, I don't know if len if there's more to it than that but that's the part that i thought was just a nice great multi-touch feature mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool i i was the first thing that i played with when it when the yeah. uh, when the update came out and um it's it's pretty neat I so like that. yeah so you know again for flight uh go for it yeah, it's a pretty cool application. Well, I like the the most recent updates are yeah. definitely like especially with the overlays and some of the new things where uh not only in the one that you were just talking about can you, you know, do the measurement, but you can um you can share your flight plan, oh, yeah. you can share your nav log, you can share a screenshot with other with anybody or other four flight users that will um it will come it will pull down 
and upload into your software. And you can also send your flights out now to Log10 Pro. Log10 Pro. I was going to say yeah. that. That really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that just got done, and that you know, just you know, smart guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's all awesome. I have to say. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty. About, it's pretty powerful now. How about the other issues as far as databases being dropped? That they cleaned that. Yes. That, okay. the, the latest update, they they put in a fix that makes their mm -hmm. data not go away. So that's no okay. longer an issue now. So, that's you know, they're just, those guys aren't sleeping. Those guys wow. are yawning a that's lot cool. because <laughs> they're working on it all the time. Anyway. Yeah. Great, cool. Rick. Yeah. Thanks. Very cool. Uh, Victoria. Hello. Welcome back. Um, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I was uh, studying the um, panels. No. Overhead panel? <laughs> yes. Um, nice. Nice. <laughs> just kidding. Um. Christmas is almost here, and as usual, you know, people are freaking out what to buy their favorite people, and some of those favorite people include pilots. And so um, I was browsing the other day for, you know, some uh, pilot store that kind of has it all, and I discovered tailwinds.com. And at the moment, my favorite thing I'm obsessed with is the um, airplane ceiling fans, and they look like, you know, an airplane is coming out of your ceiling and the p51 mustang is actually my favorite one and uh, they have a lot of other fun stuff like uh, ornaments and you know clothes things for kids um, weather vanes model aircraft art furniture you name it but um i think the the, the fan really caught my attention and the fact that ha they have a little of something for everyone i like that fan that's pretty cool actually yeah I got to find a place to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and they have other airplanes too. So you could, each room could have a different airplane, you know. How fun. Yeah. I like that idea. That's cool. I, I wonder if my girlfriend would appreciate that. Yeah. I better yeah, ask her before I buy one. My design sense isn't saying it's the best idea, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> kind of like it. Well, it's a good yep. thing you're in a flying couple because that, that will help. Yes, exactly, exactly. The next thing for Carl's man cave. <laughs> <laughs> cool, very cool. Um, well, my pick of the week for today is a video, actually, that uh, Carl and I did recently over at thepilotreport.tv. As I was mentioning at the beginning of the show, we do have some live training classes that we're just starting to uh, to get out and facilitate. Um this one was the practical guide to winter flying, and uh, it's a video that I have uh, uploaded over. And uh, you can check the show notes. And for those of you in the enhanced feed, if you're looking at the uh, your iOS device at the moment or iTunes, you'll be able to click through right now. But what we did was Carl and I put together a uh, what I could, like I said, the practical guide to winter flying, based on uh, you know more than ten thousand hours of flight experience between Carl and I combined, not only in uh, general aviation aircraft, but air transport aircraft, both flying around uh, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. We've seen and encountered a lot of stuff in, the, in regards to winter flying, in-flight ice, and all the stuff that goes along with that. And uh, so our, our video training is available. Um, it's, uh, you know, we recorded it. It's available, uh, and I would uh, definitely highly suggest you guys check it out. We got a lot of great feedback from, the, from some individuals that uh, have viewed it already. It was very helpful. And uh, we hope to do a lot more along those lines, more practical guides from, you know, from our own flying experience out there in the real world. And, uh, you know, we do hope that you will check that out. And Carl, for your pick of the week, sir. 
Yes, uh, mine actually, it's again, uh, like Victoria said, it's coming up on Christmas. And uh, one of the stores I visited recently called The Airplane Shop, and you can find their website, uh, it's www.airplaneshop.com, is a website or a store uh, that sells aviation collectibles. And uh, they sell the largest variety of um, model airplanes, everything from military to general aviation uh, to airlines and they also have videos and what what's interesting is I didn't realize this there's so many people that actually collect these models you know I I actually collect uh, these you know little model figurine lighthouses I'm into lighthouses where there's a lot of folks that are also into airplanes and like myself I also started collecting these airplane models and they're they have the ones that have great details they have big ones they have uh, ones that uh, they actually light up there's ones for kids they have toys it's really cool and uh, they have some some really neat videos on in cockpit videos that were shot of people actually flying airlines as a matter of fact when uh, there's a video with somebody we know that uh, they uh, interviewed and actually uh, videotaped a, f a day in the uh, in the life of uh, you know the airline pilot, and it's pretty cool. I mean, it, there's there's so much stuff in this uh, at this store, and uh, I had a blast walking through there. I was like a little kid in the, in the toy store, and actually, it is it's pretty much a toy store for for adults. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I, I encourage anybody to go to theairplaneshop.com or visit them. They're in Miami, uh, Vegas, and uh, also in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Awesome. The After Landing Checklist. Why don't we go ahead and everybody, let's start with uh, let's start with Carl. You can go ahead and let folks know how they can get in contact with you. Well, you can uh, contact me at my blog, expertaviator.com, or uh, on Twitter, expertaviator, or find me on Facebook, expertaviator. Wonderful. Victoria. Twitter, I'm Toria Fly. My blog is toriaflies.blogspot.com, and I'm also over at Aviation Insurance Resources. Wonderful. And Rick? Uh, Rfelty on Twitter, rdfelty on YouTube, and rotationspeed.com is my blog. Great. And I'm The Pilot Report on Twitter and Facebook, also thepilotreport.com, thepilotreport.tv. You can reach us all collectively here at the stuckmikeavcast.com, also stuckmikeavcast on Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear some emails, listener emails, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. From myself, Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carvalari, and Victoria Nuvo, we all thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 15. Clear skies and calm winds, everybody. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.